Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons Podcast. I'm his son, Matthew, and we have been splitting up the sermons every other week at our house church that my wife and I host on our farm. If you're interested in joining us, check out wrightfarmhousechurch.com. Enjoy today's lesson. What, what do you do when life is not right? Uh, when, when things aren't the way that they're supposed to be? When you... Yes, sir. That's good. We're going to go over a whole lot of stuff. That's really good, buddy. And, and yes, you're exactly right. You do pray. So what about when you see things, see bad things in, in, the, in the lives of, of those that you love? These, these things, they can really affect us, especially when it, maybe, when it hits our families, like our parents or, or our siblings or, or our children, our kids. When a child spirals from one bad choice into another, um, when when a mother's depression or a mother's anxiety leaves her totally helpless, when a father's when you see a father's lifelong addiction explode into public, uh, when someone that's too young gets sick and dies, what do you do? What do you what do you say? What do you say to God? And I wonder how David felt. When he watched his son Absalom spin out of control, as he watched him, he, he led a coup and set himself firmly, Absalom set himself firmly against the will of God. David had to be thinking, this isn't the way that it's supposed to be. Sons, sons shouldn't turn on their fathers. Even worse, how could his God and his son be at odds with one another? What would you do? What would you, what would you say to God? Um, so Absalom is in control in these chapters, chapter 17 of 2 Samuel. He is in control of Jerusalem in this story. And he wants advice. He wants advice to figure out how to destroy and kill his own father, David. He, ha- he gets good advice from a man named Ahithophel, and he gets bad advice from a man named Hushai. <clears throat> Absalom has no idea... Uh, which one is good and which one is bad, and he ends up taking the bad advice. Um, in verse 14 of chapter 17, it says, And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai the archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel, so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. Those are chilling words, aren't they? Just meditate on that last sentence for a second. The Lord had determined to bring disaster upon Absalom. Did David, did David know or fear the inevitability of Absalom's choices now? David has no choice but to defend himself. So he musters his troops, and we read here in 2 Samuel 18, verse 5, it says, And the king ordered Joab and Abishai and Ittai, Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave orders to all the commanders about Absalom. So David pleased with his commanders, be gentle. Be be gentle, soldiers. Be gentle, generals. Be gentle. But you have to wonder, is, is David almost pleading with God here? God, please be gentle with my, my, wayward, my wayward son. And, and the battle ensues, and David's men, they rout Absalom's force. 
And by some freak accident, or maybe even God's providence, Absalom's hair gets caught in the branches of an oak tree, and the donkey that he's riding on just keeps on walking. So here is Absalom hanging from a tree by his hair, and and we read here in verse 14 of chapter 18, this is of Joab. Joab, he took three javelins in his hand and thrust them into the heart of Absalom while he was still alive in the oak. And ten young men, Joab's armor bearers, surrounded Absalom and struck him and killed him. So in the meantime, in this story, David is waiting. Uh, he's not with the other warriors, and he sees, he sees these runners coming in the distance. And he says, he says, I think it must be good news. But we have to ask the question, I think, what, what is good news in this situation? If Absalom lives, David's throne is lost. If David's throne is preserved, it must mean, it must mean that his son is dead. The, the news comes to David, um, his throne is preserved, and Absalom is dead. In verse 33 of chapter 18, it says, And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. I think this chapter is every Christian parent's worst nightmare. Someone you've loved setting their lives so much against God's will that they, that they finally end up paying the ultimate cost. Where do, their, where, where do their decisions leave us? Well, it leaves us without them. It leaves us mourning their death. When I, when I teach these lessons, when I teach lessons, I try and always put a positive spin on the scripture that, that we focus on that week. But there's no way to turn David's weeping into laughter. There's no way. Life's not supposed to not, life's not, it, it's not supposed to be this way. And sentimentalism is not the answer. If someone you love is headed down a path of destruction, this passage offers you no quaint solution. Um, it can't because their lives are out of our hands at this point. Even King David, the chosen one of God, the, the one after God's own heart, lost a child to self-destruction. David's response is really the only response. He weeps and he mourns. Lament is the title of the lesson today. Lament is the ultimate form of godly protest because lament is a way of shattering ourselves in a vivid response to the way that the world has been shattered around us. A response to the way that the world isn't supposed to be this way. Lament cries out, this is wrong. This shouldn't be it. Lament protests with tears and with heartbreak. David's psalms are filled. David's psalms are filled with lament and protest to God. He's saying, God, you're the one in charge, aren't you? Where are you? Don't you see? Don't don't, Don't you act? Don't you see my pain? Respond, God. You know, I need you to act. That's what he says. Psalm chapter 13, verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? 
Psalm 6, verse 6, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. I think it's an uncomfortable fact for many Christians, and maybe it's a confusing fact for many unbelievers, that, that the Bible is so comfortable taking God to court. Taking God to court through lament. Through the protest of lament. Demanding an answer from God about the broken things in the world. For, for the ways that things have, have gone sideways for us. Lament. That's, that's the answer that this story gives us. But is that the end of lament? Is, 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 is protest what lament is just all about? Is that the end? And the answer is no, of course not. David's Psalms present a journey of lament. It's a journey from anger and confusion into the perfectly holy, good, and just presence of God. Psalm 22 continues in verse 3, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. Lament takes us before God's holiness many times not to, to ease our pain, but actually in the light of, of His holiness, we, we see just how wrong our lives are and how shattered the world really is. But it's in that holiness that we enter into an inescapable, just infinity of God's love and his goodness and his justice. We realize right there in his presence, as we are lamenting, as we are protesting, as we are taking God to court, that God is just as grieved and angry as we are. In fact, we realize that God is far more committed, far more committed to set it, setting things right than we will ever be. How do you know that? How do we know that? It's because in his presence, we see him losing his own son in order to set things right. We see his son shedding his own blood to put the world back into place. Well, because we realize that he, ha he has experienced the unrighteousness of this world that he didn't have to experience. He didn't have to come here in the flesh and do that. He could have just let us go. But he has experienced the not-rightness of the world in far worse ways than we could ever imagine. He has committed himself to setting it right at the highest cost. Even though he didn't have to do it, even though he didn't deserve to be there on the cross. Absalom died hanging from a tree because of his sins. Our Lord Jesus Christ died hanging from a tree because he was perfect in every way. It's, it's because of this that we can lament and protest before our God, because we know that he understands us better than we'll ever know. Lament gives us eyes. It gives us eyes to see God's goodness so that we can trust him when things aren't good in life. Because who else can we trust? So this week, this week, I want us to meditate on lament. It's not something we're great at in our culture. 
But David's Psalms teach us that when we lament and protest to God, when we come to him and say, this isn't the way it's supposed to be, only then can we see the way it is supposed to be. God gives us the gift of lament because it leads us into seeing his holy perfection. It leads us into seeing his love and his justice perfectly entwined. It leads us into seeing him losing his son and spilling his own blood. Lament is hard, but, but in the end, it, it teaches us to, to hand over to God what, what isn't right. Uh, lament helps us give what isn't right into the eternally gracious hands of our God. Going deep, deep into lament with God brings us into a greater trust of God. When I have lamented in my life and when I have brought God to court, okay, over the trials that I faced, I many times I've turned to the first book of Peter. Uh, it's an often overlooked note that the book is addressed to the elect exiles of the dispersion. And, 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 and he, he's, he's, he's addressing these Christians that are in five different areas. They have been dispersed out or sojourners, as we were reading in our Greek uh, last night. It indicates that these church families, they were facing enormous trials, uh, and they would have been lamenting. Uh, maybe the loss of their former homes, maybe family that they had left behind, belongings that they cherished, um, and probably severe persecution that they were currently undergoing when Peter wrote this to them. I think Peter says it best here when addressing these exiles and encouraging them in a time of lament. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Lament brings us through a difficult trial into a wonderful and profound and joyful understanding of Jesus Christ and ultimately the salvation of our souls. Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. God bless you and have a wonderful week.